Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Leah is the founder and president of the Society for Diversity and um, is on LinkedIn as an all-star. Mrs. Smiley has facilitated hundreds of presentations for more than 10,000 professionals and executives around the world, as well as consulted with more than 100 organizations. Prior to founding the Society for Diversity, Mrs. Smiley spent a decade in the healthcare industry working for Signacorp, the City of Philadelphia Health Department, and CGI Consulting Group, which is now Willis Towers Watson. With 18 years of experience exclusively in DEI, as well as 30 years as a Master of Training in Organizational Development, Mrs. Smiley is considered to be a DEI thought leader. Smiley's work has been featured on international and national radio and television programs, as well as in USA Today, Huffington Post, Business Insurance, the Indianapolis Star, the Indianapolis Business Journal, Indiana Minority Business Magazine, Associations Now, Franchising World Magazine, MEA Magazine, the Lexington Herald Leader, the Philadelphia Tribune, the Philadelphia Business Journal, Naples Daily News, the City Sentinel, Lee and Low Books, and many more. She was also quoted in The Inclusion Revolution is Now, an innovative framework for diversity and inclusion in the workplace by Mara G. Robinson and published by iUniverse. So while I love to read and just go over just the expertise that our co-hosts bring to this space. I also love to lean into maybe something that we would not find from your bio. So Leah, I would love to turn it over to you to tell us something that uh, may be a fun fact or just something unique that we would not find about you on the web or just from your biography. (laughs) One of the biggest things um, is that I am a sports mom. So uh, I have two kids that are in basketball. And surprisingly, um, both of my kids are um, doing basketball, I'll say six or seven days a week. So um, I'm literally working all day. And then in the evenings, I am going from school to school doing uh, basketball. So for those of you who are parents of kids in sports, you know, the summer basketball, the summer leagues and, and what people are doing in the summer and for the school. And literally last week alone, I did 18 games. Uh, This week, (laughs) this week, I am not doing as many games. I think I only did uh, 12. I'm missing a day today. So I won't do as many games this week, Uh, but I will have um, basketball all day tomorrow. So um, I am a 100% fully committed basketball mom, and it literally takes all of my time, six to seven days a week, all throughout the year. (laughs) Yes, Leah, growing up, my brother was was in basketball, and every summer we traveled AAU, going to the games. I mean, our whole lives, I feel like, kind of revolved around that schedule, and so I completely understand the um, intensity, Um, but also it was um, something that, looking back, I really did enjoy. It was a lot of fun, so awesome. Well, I'm going to open it up to Rachel to kind of start us out this today with um, our IC session. Well, hello, everyone. Good morning. Um, Leah Smiley just 
reading her bio, listening to her bio, she is a powerhouse. She is a diversity, equity, and inclusion powerhouse. And I'm just going to let everybody know that I got certified through her organization. She has a certification program uh, where you can become a certified diversity expert uh, through uh, her organization. And so did Nika White. So look up Leah after this. There's definitely a powerhouse. She's definitely a powerhouse. And with you being a powerhouse, Leah, you have 10 ways that DEI is changing. How yes. did you discover the 10? And can you describe them to us? Yes. Yeah, so um, one of the things that I do normally is I spend at least in addition to, to basketball, I spend at least two hours a day reading every day that I do seven days a week. But um, in all of the information that I have been reading, um, I've, I've been taking note about how this field is changing in addition to talking to DEI leaders to our certification program. And um, one of the things that I'm gonna cover is just how this field is continuing to evolve. So um, if you think about it in the 1980s, we saw the creation of um, the chief technical chief technology officer, and during that time, there were companies that were like, "We don't need a chief technology officer." You think fast forward 2022, that role is so solid that um, you would never imagine a big organization not having a chief technology officer. Right. Um, when COVID first hit, the Washington Post reported that diversity and inclusion jobs fell by 60%. So a lot of organizations took that as an opportunity to say, hey, we're going to lay off workers. We're going to make it so that um, we get rid of this thing that we've been wanting to get rid of all the time. Now is the time. Right. But you don't hear that same sentiment today as we hear the economy slowing. And not only did um, George Floyd uh, play a role in that, but I was listening to um, a, a webinar last night while I was at a game. Um, I was <laughs> listening to a webinar on Black Enterprise Magazine uh, that they held. And one of the things that they said is that, um, we're not going to see organizations going back and saying, hey, let's get rid of that diversity and inclusion job. We're not, we're not going to do this anymore because it's not something that we need. Companies realize that this role is necessary. And as more and more organizations continue to hire and continue to, um, to build this rollout, it is necessary for us to understand how our role is different. It's not like the 1960s or the 1980s or the early 2000s. We're in 2022 and we need to prepare for 2025, 2030, so that we're not discussing the same stuff that we've been discussing for the last 10 to 15 years. LinkedIn and Indeed both report that the DNI role globally has grown significantly over the last three years. It's one of the top, you know, 10 fields. And um, that's in three years. So we're going to continue to see growth in this role. But from a strategic perspective, we have to be clear about what our priorities are. 
Thank you. Um, so you said 16% of 60. These, 60%. 60. The Washington Post reported that 60% of DEI jobs were cut after COVID. And then George Floyd happened and all those same companies went back and said, oh shoot, we really do need to have a DEI person. <laughs> and so with the pandemic and with a lot of organizations having to pivot and be agile and go to the hybrid workforce, do you think that was one of the reasons why all of a sudden there was a focus back on DEI jobs? Well, it's a combination of things. Um, those things uh, are uh, important, but we've also seen um, a shift in what we'll call the beans, behaviors, expectations, attitudes, and needs, where folks you know, have said through the great resignation, we don't want to work for a company that has an awful culture, a toxic culture, right? Um, so that has been a factor. You also have the employees that are protesting and walking out. And usually when they stage these walkouts, diversity, equity, and inclusion is one of the reasons why they're walking out, right? Um, you also have these demographics, right? So um, in 2020, countries around the world did their census count, right? And um, here in the US, the census count was wrong, but certainly, and that's because they undercounted all of the, the, the some of the, the growing groups, right? So they undercounted Hispanics, they undercounted Blacks, they undercounted Asians, um, and, and certainly, uh, that is a challenge as we're talking here. But um, one of the reasons why they, these groups were undercounted is because of their significant presence here in this country. So um, you, you cannot ignore the fact that uh, these groups represent a huge proportion, not only of the country, but of the buying power in the economy. And any organization that's disconnected from not only their needs, but how their needs may overlap through what we'll call intersectionality um, is ultimately going to be a company that is disconnected from their, their their key group, right? So, um, and, and certainly people are becoming more comfortable and vocal with and saying, hey, we need diversity, right? So um, that that's not just employees, it's not just customers, but it's also coming from the board. Those board members, those investors, they're looking for high performing organizations. And there's data out there that has been around for decades that suggests that um, diverse organizations manage well, perform better over time. Wow, yes. Thank you, Leah. That is um, very eye-opening, um, that, that statistic around um, after COVID. Um, and it, it leads me to ask what, how has what falls under DEI now expanded? You know, um, what does you know what does that look like? Now? So um, let's take a little walk through history. 
uh, when DEI, so DEI was kind of formulated um, through uh, Title VII and really um, you saw the creation of EEO, Equal Employment Opportunity Roles, right? And from there, we saw um, roles being created for diversity because organizations said, hey, we don't want to just focus on compliance only, right? We need to do something more. So from there, we saw the creation of diversity roles. Um, and those diversity roles, for the most part, were housed under the office of, um, sorry, that's coming from my house, that noise. Uh, can you do that later? Okay. So, <laughs> um, so one of the things that you that we saw was that um, those diversity roles were um, housed under human resources, and um, <laughs> thank you. Those, those DEI roles were housed under human resources. And as we begin to see um, the role evolving, people say, well, wait a minute. HR is saying, hey, there's some things we don't want our DEI person to do, right? We don't want our DEI person dibbling and dabbling in marketing. We don't want our DEI person dibbling and dabbling in uh, the supply chain. We don't want our diversity person dibbling and dabbling with the board, right? The HR person is supposed to do, to do the board presentations. So um, a lot of organizations said, but we need to have someone in diversity who's fulfilling these roles. So then a lot of organizations began creating a separate role for DEI outside of human resources. Now, there are some organizations that still house their diversity role under HR. But again, that's going back to the stage that the organization is in in their diversity, equity, and inclusion journey. Because the best place for the DEI role is an independent office reporting directly to the CEO, not buried down the food chain, four and five levels, right? Not uh, reporting to the, um, the chief human resources officer who reports to the chief operating officer who reports to, you know, someone else but making it so that there's a direct connection to the CEO or president um, and making it so that um, as we're talking about this, the role now is in this different place where there are more expectations for um, results, right? And, and more expectations for integration throughout the entire organization. So no longer is there an expectation that the DEI person is going to just operate by themselves in this one place. Now we want people to have operations and, and to have product development and all sorts of different things. And I'll just use an example here. Um, everyone knows that when you go online and you do things like uh, you go online and you're you're doing something that's secure, um, CAPTCHA, remember you had to choose like the blocks that would um, or, or choose something, uh, choose all the, the places where there's a crosswalk or choose where there, you know, choose do these letters or, or do something right. Um, and, and now 
you have companies like Apple that are coming out and saying, CAPTCHA is not inclusive. So we're gonna stop using them. And the way that it was not inclusive is that people with visual impairments had a hard time using CAPTCHA and people who were not based here in the US also had a hard time figuring out, now what do they mean when they say, uh, you know, choose the, the motorcycle or choose the, the motorhome or choose the bus, right? Because in different countries, you call things different words. So from, uh, from the perspective of inclusion, the CAPTCHA exercises were not that inclusive. So from a design perspective, the expectation is that organizations will really be inclusive in how, yes, <laughs> thank you, Rachel, for that. From a design perspective, the expectation is that you will have an understanding of diversity and inclusion and what that really means in your product development not just thinking about it in terms of, you know, we got to hire and we got to recruit employees and train employees, but, but how does it translate into better business outcomes, right? So that organizations who develop products like the CAPTCHA are not disrupted. So basically, Leah, diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners are dibbling and dabbling in everything that you said people were saying right. we shouldn't be. Right. <laughs> So, so, so with that said, how do DEI practitioners strategically address the next five years of change? Because just from what you've described, this whole diversity, equity, and inclusion was boxed into this is what it is, this is what you do. And now people are beginning to realize that there's more to DEI. So as a practitioner, how do I strategically address change looking forward into the next five years? So the earliest indicator of where change will occur is in the household. Uh, and if you don't have kids or grandkids in the household, uh, go to the schools. So one of the things that people saw in the George Floyd protest were that, um, was that uh, you had a variety of different people who were at those protests. And that is so different than previous protests in previous years, right? And, and certainly a lot of organizations were surprised that, um, that they had so many uh, people who were, you know, just involved in those protests. But it was an indicator that this diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff is interesting to everybody, right? And it's not just something that affects Black people. It's not just something that affects women. It's not just something that affects people who are LGBTQ. It affects everybody. And if you have places in the organization that are toxic, um, it also impacts everybody. So um, I don't know if anyone has heard of the uh, of the the um, micro the Activision Blizzard uh, controversy, 
and um, all that has happened there. So again, this is another way that DEI work is changing. So um, earlier this year, Microsoft announced that they were uh, going to acquire Activision Blizzard. And this is a huge acquisition. But one of the things that they found in their due diligence is that the culture at Activision Blizzard was bad. I mean, very, very bad. It was so bad that they had an employee commit suicide from the sexual harassment. And this is a multi-million dollar uh, settlement with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. It is a huge thing, right? But, but who would have thought 15 years ago that DEI and organizational culture would have been one of the things that Microsoft, a big, you know, multinational organization would consider in an acquisition deal. Who would have thought that 15 years ago, culture <laughs> would be one of the big things that's a part of this acquisition deal. No one would have, no one would have ever thought and the fact that Microsoft made conditions that Activision Blizzard had to deal with these things and they fired, Activision Blizzard fired like 60 folks. They fired managers, they fired all these different people for being involved specifically in this harassment, uh, this gender, this exclusion, this discrimination, uh, this toxic culture, they fired those folks. And there was a multi-million dollar settlement, not only with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, but also um, they have been working with the state of California. Uh, and, and certainly we would have never thought that this would be um, a part of the framework. But as we're looking to the future, this is going to be one of the areas where um, DEI leaders are involved in that due diligence process and making it so that as we see all of this um, merger and acquisition activity, we're going to also have to be fluent in those processes, right? Because when that issue comes up, um, we have to be prepared. And we also have to know what to do when there are, um, you know, more when there's more than one office of diversity involved. Who, which office should take over, right? The one that is barely developed or the one that is already developed. So I have heard lots of stories. I've heard stories where the one that's barely developed took over and, and folks started jumping ship. They were like, I got to get out of here because these, these folks are taking us back to the 1980s. And then I've heard stories where, um, you know, we had one person who was a, a CDP um, and she, the company was acquired because of their advanced diversity um, efforts. And um, certainly one of the things that happened was that, um, you know, uh, she wound up saying, well, I got to take, I got to start all over. I built everything up and now we're being acquired and I have to start all over from the ground up. Oh my goodness. So she wound up leaving. But certainly I think you all missed the point that I said. 
the company was acquired because of the advanced diversity efforts. <laughs> I mean, again, we are entering into a new era. And certainly as we're talking about this new era, we've got to be you know, prepared for what the future holds. So not only looking at us playing a bigger role in key business decisions, but also us um, you know, being on the forefront of that product development, um, making it so that we can get our resource groups involved in those decisions. Um, when it comes to things like uh, bias and uh, artificial intelligence and, and algorithmic bias, um, and that impacts everything from, you know, whether or not someone gets a loan to whether or not someone gets called back for a job to whether or not, you know, you can go to the bathroom and wash your hands, right? <laughs> so all of these things, especially when we're talking about vehicles and automobiles and, and them being able to sense people and not being able to sense people of color. Right. So as we're talking about self-driving vehicles and all sorts of other technology, all of these things have to be um, all these things have to be considered. I told you Leah comes with facts. She always drops the knowledge. <laughs> she, it's not just this is what's happening in the DEI world. She has real live world experiences and examples. So thank you for that. So Leah, as, as DEI changes and evolves, how can practitioners remain up to date? Like you, like I actually, I go to your, to your LinkedIn to get my updates because I know you're current, but we're so busy with our day-to-day -day jobs. How do we remain up to date? How do we remain relevant to ensure continual growth? Because there's so much coming at us all at one time, competing priorities, how? How do you do it so well? Um, and I'm thinking even this morning we logged on and it's like Roe versus Wade, right? Yeah, yeah. How how do you keep up? You know, the gun laws, so yeah. many things going on. So how, how so, as practitioners do we remain up to date? That is such a good question. So again, I'm going to use a, a, another example. Uh, as to why we do need to stay up to date. So I'm going back to, you know, some of the bigger organizations that have been doing diversity for many, many years, 50 years, 60 years, so on. Um, one of the, the challenges that comes along with doing diversity for a long period of time is that sometimes we can become comfortable, like, okay, we've, we're advanced. We're doing some things that no one else is doing. This is certainly uh, advanced and, and we're you know, at the forefront of diversity. Now, with all the changes that you just talked about, COVID, George Floyd, uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned, all these things, what was advanced two years ago is, is now outdated. <laughs> Because sometimes things change at the drop of a dime, and we as DEI leaders have to stay on top of what is changing 
and how it relates to the work that we're doing. So one of the ways that we're gonna stay on top of things is making sure that we're connected to people in our industry. Not just connecting with, so back in the day, like when you used to work in this field, um, and, and you got to a certain level, you're the chief diversity officer, you're the senior vice president, you kind of connect with people um, in this industry who are, um, you know, on that same level, and you you stay on that level, you don't, you know, connect with someone who's only you know, just entering into this field. But it's necessary for us to um, connect with some of the newer people who are entering into the field. Because again, going back to what I said earlier, they are they have a different idea about diversity than the folks who have been doing it for, yes, that whole generational intelligence. They have a different idea about diversity, equity, and inclusion than, than we did you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And, and they are more, much more progressive. Uh, so what that means is if you were doing diversity like people did it 10 years ago, 20 years ago, today you are outdated and behind if you haven't continued to evolve. So you're gonna need to not only connect with people who are on your level, you're gonna need to connect with people who are in the industry as a whole because so many things have happened over time that have made what was happening, you know, 10 years ago outdated. And every time I think, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm up on top of things, you know, my kids remind me, you know, like my daughter, she always, uh, I'll call, I'll say accidentally, she calls me a boomer. Okay, boomer. I'm like, hey, I'm not a boomer. <laughs> but that's, that's just a reminder to me that I need to do more to stay on top of what's going on, right? And, and certainly um, connecting with the younger uh, generation of people who are doing this work is one area. But two, taking the time to, to read and not just read the things that um, you're comfortable with reading, reading the stuff that that's in opposition to, like reading what Fox News is saying, right? So um, yeah, I, I read two hours a day, um, sometimes more. And you gotta know what they're saying on Fox News. I know you don't like it. I know it's frustrating, but you gotta know what they're saying. Because if you don't, you're gonna be in the position where you're not gonna know how to respond to stuff. So I give an example of, um, uh, I was talking this morning before we got started, I was, I used the example of Disney and the whole don't say gay controversy um, and how Disney um, initially did not respond to uh, the, the legislation that was being proposed. They let it get passed in the law and then they came out and they took a stance and said, hey, we're, we're opposed to this, we're gonna sin against it. And then all of a sudden the politician said, yes, we, we're gonna take your, um, we're gonna take away your special tax treatment. And, and people began to support it like, yeah, go ahead, take away their special tax treatment. And, and what began to happen is that Disney didn't know how to respond. They weren't prepared. And as DEI leaders, we have to prepare 
our executives for that controversy. We got to give them speaking notes. We have to make it so that we alert them and say, hey, let's not just think that everybody's going to be supportive of this. Let's also talk about the folks that are not supportive of it and how we need to respond to them. Let's dispel some of this misinformation that's out there. The same thing happened with the critical race theory. So um, we, you know, after George Floyd happened and everybody starts transitioning and pivoting, and, and one of the things that we started doing was really talking more about critical race theory. And then all of a sudden, boom, we get hit. You have people fighting at school board meetings. You have laws being passed where these politicians are saying, you can't talk about critical race theory and all this. And, and we just had silence. We didn't know what to say, even when that misinformation was being, uh, was being circulated. And it's important for us that we know what to say, how to respond. And that's why we need to, to know what's going on. We need to not just read those sources that are um, familiar to us and that we you know, love. We're, we're not just seeking confirmation bias, right? We are seeking to step outside and know what the critics are saying so that we can prepare those talking points for our executives. They need to know what to say. The, the third thing is um, that there are a lot of best practices out there and there is a trove of research um, that, that shows what gets good results. So why are we still experimenting and reinventing the wheel and, and Google search and stuff when we already know that there is research out there to suggest here is what works and here is what gets great results. I love that, Leah. That is, um, I'm just, even just processing and digesting everything you've just said. And um, it really, it really is important to lean into those different conversations so that you're looking at things from all perspectives, which can be challenging as you named, but um, it's very important so that you do know how to, to step into and to, um, and to kind of like mitigate those conversations when you're talking with others. Um, so I'd like to ask one more question. We're going to kind of pivot just a little bit right before we open up questions to the audience. Um, but I would love for you to tell us more about the Institute for Diversity Certification, um, what it is, why it's important. So um, the Institute for Diversity Certification has been uh, conferring certified diversity professional and certified diversity executive credentials since 2009. Um, and we have developed a very effective system to help prepare um, leaders for the future of this DEI work um, and, and making it so that we're not just looking at developing um, check the box initiatives, but we're creating holistic solutions that will deliver great outcomes um, in essence. Uh, the Institute for Diversity Certification or IDC focuses on effectiveness. And um, we have 
um, we, we evaluate whether or not we are effective by, um, you know, how our, our leaders do. You know, if someone has CDP or CDE credentials, what's happening with them? We want to know. We want to know if they're getting promotions, if they are um, getting bigger budgets, if they are making an impact, but specifically, um, how are their organizations doing? Uh, each year, we give awards away through our um, annual conference. Um, and one of the things that um, we did last year that was pretty interesting, um, we we have, or we, we do this every year, but last year in particular, it was very interesting in that um, the committee, they selected who gets the awards based on the um, advancements that the organizations have made. And we didn't tell the committee members this, but certainly everyone who was selected for an award had multiple people. Every organization had multiple people that they sent through the certification program. And they made the most progress. And it is no, um, for us, it was no surprise that the organizations that had the most progress had the most educated through certification. Um, they had the most educated uh, leaders in place who were thinking strategically about the work that they're doing. Um, the certification program is competency-based. So a lot of people are like, oh yeah, well, you know, how hard can diversity, equity, and inclusion certification be? I mean, it's, this is just a piece of cake. No, it's, it's a, a rigorous process. And we work with universities um, to help design the process. And we also make it so that we follow the best practices that have been established through the Institute for Credentialing Excellence. So um, the, uh, just like taking like a bar exam or the SPHR, PHR certification or, or um, you know, it, a technology certification, getting a teaching license, all those different things. Uh, our exam is rigorous in the same way. There are a lot of people who want to get their, um, you know, they want to go quickly through a program. They want to, they want quick results. Um, and certainly I'm okay, you know, with, um, you know, the folks that, that want to do this quickly. But certainly uh, they may not be the best candidates for certification because certification looks at um, helping you to get results and taking a one-time class may not get you, it may get you something, but it may not get you the results that um, are worth um, reading about. And, and certainly, uh, I, like I tell people on the program, I don't wanna read about you in a bad way, right? So some people tell me stories are like, oh yeah, well, uh, you know, there was a CDP um, that, that went through a program and they just made a mess at that organization. I'm like, okay, so first of all, um, what organization did they get their credentials from? And they're like, so-and-so, yeah, that's the problem. That's number one. But number two, uh, they shouldn't even have CDP or CDE after the name because we own the trademarks, okay? So yeah, if, if somebody created a mess somewhere, it wasn't one of our people. <laughs> I tell them, hey, look, we, we have a perfect record. Since 2009, we've had thousands of folks 
that have gone through our program. And uh, we make it so that we don't want to read about you in a bad way, okay? We need to read about the, the wonderful things that you're doing, right? So um, we focus more on what I'll call leadership development, where we want you to be uh, recognized as leaders in this industry, as well as in your own fields. And um, like I said, Dr. Nika White and myself, we went through the program and um, the test, she's not lying. Um, Dr. Dr. White had to do it twice and I, me too, you know, like you think you're prepared and you study and you think you know everything. Yeah, what are the protected classes? I know this and you go in and it's like, wow. So she's, she's telling the truth. I highly recommend the program for people who want to have a certification behind your name to say that, you know, you understand diversity, equity and inclusion work. So Leah, <clears throat> one thing that amazes me about you is you are always even keel. You never get phased by anything. Like things could be going on from the different sides and you always maintain just that even keel and you always present facts, always facts. So Rebecca put in chat, do you have any advice for protecting your mental health while staying informed on opposing viewpoints? How can we be cool, calm and collected like you, Leah, at all times? <laughs> so that's such a good question. Um, one of the things that I would recommend is that you have to stay centered. And, and you have to know, because one of the things that happens in this field is that you can experience burnout. And I've been doing this work uh, for a lot of years. And I can tell you that burnout is real. So um, one of the things that you want to do is make it so that you're aware of your own mental health. Like they tell you on the airplane, like, you know, make sure, and I tell my kids this all the time, make sure you put your own mask on before you attempt to help somebody else put their mask on. So we can't be people that are out there trying to save the world. And um, we, we are not saving ourselves. And that means also saving yourselves from the negativity that's out there because we can become negative too and pessimistic. And um, there's a whole bunch of DEI people that are negative and, and pessimistic. Oh, nothing's gonna change. I don't need to be around you because things are changing and I am gonna make sure that I do my part to make that change. Right. And 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 making it so that we're not just taking in all of that negative information and becoming, you know, the opposite of what we actually say we want. Like, you know, saying, oh, yeah, well, I, I hate when people are biased and discriminatory and filled with hate. But yet I don't like those uh, conservatives. I, I don't like those Republicans. I don't like those Trump supporters. Well, we're, we're becoming, that's becoming what we say that we don't want to be. Um, and then the other challenge is the trauma that comes along with always fighting. So you've got to do strategies. Instead of you fighting um, everybody, you've got to do strategies that equip other folks to fight on your behalf. Because if you do all the fighting, you're going to get burnt out. 
what you're going to have to do is instead of waiting until you get to the meeting and then you're like, oh man, they, they, it was a, you know, they, they just got in there and they started, uh, you know, going in on me and, 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 you know, the supervisor, she turned to me and said, Leah would like to add something. Leah, what would you like to bring up? And then I have to bring up the hard stuff and I'm mad at the supervisor. No, no, you know, you're going into the meeting, right? So do the meeting before the meeting. Do the back room deal before you get into the meeting. So, you know, you, you may not have someone who can speak on all areas of diversity, but they are fired up about immigration. They are fired up about LGBTQ. They are fired up about whatever it is. Get them to speak on those things. So when it comes to the meeting, you got to do this one-on-one -on -one, though. You got to take the time to get those uh, allies on your side before the meeting. When you get to the meeting, you have other people who are pewsh, dropping the bombs, pewsh, dropping those bombs, right? So that you're not the only one dropping bombs. You got to be strategic about this. And then you also have to make it so that you are, again, preparing those senior leaders with those talking points. So a lot of what we do is reactive. We get called into the office and, and, be, and we're told, oh, yeah, well, we don't want you to do this anymore. Well, that's because someone complained about what we're doing. And instead of waiting until somebody complains about what we're doing, let's be proactive and give those executives talking points. Here's what you say when somebody complains. Keep it simple right? From a rest and relaxation perspective, um, I am uh, a Christian, so I make sure that I read, I pray, I'm, you know, doing all those different things before I start my day off. <laughs> but if you're not a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're uh, someone who is a, a non-religious person, if you are, um, you know, a Hindu, whatever, whatever you are, taking the time to um, center yourself before you get that day started. Because again, we're dealing with a lot of stuff, other people's baggage. And we have to be mindful that other people's baggage can hurt us and cause trauma to us if we don't unload that stuff. So you've got to be able to take that time off to refresh. So um, I always like to say that my, you know, my kids' basketball is my, my dirty little secret. Nobody knows that I'm doing it. <laughs> and, and certainly that's how I get to unload. And I, you know, I, I enjoy going to those games and, and, you know, those marathon games. And you've got to also find that thing outside of your work that you love to do and making the time to do it, whether it's exercising, whether it's spending time with your kids, whether it's, uh, you know, spending time with your grandkids, spending time with your dog or your pet making it so that you get outside and enjoy the fresh air, you've got to make sure that you take that time to refresh. Because if you, or and even taking those vacations, taking those vacations and not doing anything, right? Not doing any work, 
disconnecting because then you can get yourself fired up again to get back in there and make a difference, right? But you gotta take that time for you. You are the most important factor in this equation. And if you are not healthy mentally, then everything else falls apart. Thank you, Leah. This has been so amazing. And I amplify Tracy left in the chat that this has been some of the most practical and helpful advice that she's heard in a long time. And I think that this has just been so spot on and I can continue to tap into this well of knowledge, but I do want to offer an opportunity for the a podcast community to ask any questions. If you would like to use the raise hand uh, reaction, um, we can definitely uh, spotlight you and have you unmute yourself to ask your question out loud um, or drop in the chat. Um, we only have about eight more minutes. So I am happy to move forward with um, another question of my own, but would love to just give a few seconds for the audience to chime in if they have any questions they would like to ask. Courtney, so Aaron, Aaron, I don't know if you would like to unmute yourself and ask uh, Leah your question. Uh, yes, good morning. Thank you for the information. I've enjoyed the, the webinar. I'm new kind of to my DEI journey, but uh, definitely interested in the certification. And my question was beyond doing the, the online courses that are on the website, is there anything else I can do at this point to start to prepare for the certification? Um, not really. You can, we will provide you with everything you need. Uh, there's a study guide that you'll get. It's 350 pages. Um, and then once you get that study guide, just reading it and um, you'll have access to an online uh, learning management system where you can connect with leader, DEI leaders from 30 countries around the world. Um, and you can just start thinking about the application portion. Like we, one of the things that we ask people um, when they are interested in the program is what are your goals? Where do you want this? Where do you want your career to go, right? And, and you being very clear about your path and, and where this is heading so that you're not just kind of jumping into this field because it's hot, but really thinking about the, um, your purpose, um, professionally, but also personally. Aaron, I can say I ask the same questions because I'd like to be overprepared. You literally just have to show up. And um, it is a rigorous program. You also have to submit. <laughs> you have to submit a thesis <laughs> as well. <laughs> I call it a thesis. So it's an intense program, but you come, at, you come out on the other end knowing that you're qualified to show up in any workspace and say that um, you're a, a, a diversity expert. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we definitely want to make sure that when you go out for a position that you not only have the knowledge, but you have the skill to do the work. Uh, Leah, you have something called beans. Could you tell us about beans? So beans are the behaviors, expectations, attitudes, and needs that are changing. And um, to tie that into the whole um, conversation about Roe v. Wade, um, the, the needs of women will change in your workplace. And um, what that means is that uh, there will be some 
people who will be impacted by um, children, perhaps if they have to have children. Um, there, there may be some people who uh, are impacted by those children because they're traumatized due to rape or some other um, issue that, or some healthcare health issue that they're dealing with um, as a result of being forced to have a child. Um, uh, they may um, have challenges with childcare. Um, we will also see that uh, there will be challenges relating to insurance and people who don't have insurance, um, especially in those states where um, they, they have really restrictive uh, abortion laws and they have those um, you know, requirements. They, they all, those are the same states that cut uh, Medicaid for young children. So um, there will be folks who were looking around saying, you know what, how are we going to provide for these children, knowing that the cost of childcare is expensive, knowing that every employer does not provide insurance, knowing that I may not be able to get Medicaid um, in my state, knowing that, um, you know, all these different things will impact me. So employers are going to have to be strategic in dealing with um, changing behaviors, expectations, attitudes, and needs, especially so that it won't impact their workforce. Um, it won't impact their representation, especially in industries where women tend to be underrepresented, so that it doesn't um, impact things like uh, equal pay and, and people being able to reintegrate into the workforce after taking time off to raise a child. So um, again, these are all things that we struggle with anyway, but certainly um, having these conversations uh, so that we're not um, at a disadvantage in the next five, 10, 15 years. So you're saying as uh, DEI practitioners, we should have the beans approach to how we do yes. and implement our our DEI strategies. Right. Knowing what laws are changing and um, being able to develop a plan, a strategy that will respond accordingly. Not just saying, hey, we're going to bust people across state lines but also being aware that busing someone across state lines may require, you know, time off, right? It may require, you know, and, and God forbid something happened to someone health-wise um, that is going to, these are all challenges that um, organizations will have to be prepared for with their workforce. Yeah, no, and I think tying that in with, what's currently going on just as early as today with this Roe v. Wade is just a great way to really illustrate the importance of that because all of the different things you were naming were things that now that you said them I'm like duh but that you may not have originally thought when assessing the situation and just the totality of what it means for women and their rights um, and, and how this can just really greatly impact their lives so thank you so much for for bringing that um to this conversation. Um, we only have a couple of minutes, so I would love for you to maybe leave us with some final thoughts, closing remarks to kind of close us out. You have been such a wealth of knowledge and um, we have just greatly appreciate you sharing with us today. 
Okay, good. So um, I, I just want everyone to kind of walk away with um, the fact that this field is changing. Um, we need to stay on top of what's changing so that we can be intentional um, and strategic and proactive about um, all the changes that we see going on, that we take the time to ask the right questions, get the right people on our team and um, make it so that we are you know, not disconnected from the future of this field and, and what this work will require. 100%. Well, thank you so, so much, Leah. Thank you all for joining us today. We hope that you have a beautiful, beautiful weekend, and we look forward to seeing all of you um, next week. Be well. All right. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.